A reading from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she shall, has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. A reading of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You guys might want to sit down on those stools behind you. We had a 10 o'clock service this morning, delightful service for families with young kids, and it was really sweet. And uh, I didn't get to preach, so I've been saving this up for, for a week. You know, we learn a lot of lessons every Christmas. We, we learn where the great sales are after Christmas, and we learn every year I learn never try to save uh, those lights off the Christmas tree. It's not worth undoing them because when you take them out next year, they don't work anyway, so you might as well buy them new. Tonight we're going to talk about four profound lessons that we learn from uh, the story that Victoria and Danielle just read for us, the account of the Magi. I, I wonder if you've ever thought uh, what would have happened that first Christmas if there'd been a group of wise women visiting the baby Jesus. I feel certain that they would have asked directions before they started their trip, which means they would have ended up there on time. And once they were there, they would have helped deliver the baby, they would have cleaned the stall, and they would have made a casserole. Plus, on their way, they would have stopped for useful gifts for the baby. They would have bought cute little outfits for baby Jesus and something to help Mary hold and breastfeed the baby in comfort. Instead, we got a group of wise men who arrived months late. They brought with them frankincense and myrrh. And can't you just hear an exhausted, overwhelmed Mary saying, guys, uh, I haven't slept for months, I'm clueless. Joseph is no help whatsoever. I don't know where we are or how long we're staying here, but thanks so much for helping me smell better. Having said that, these Christmas Eve magi teach us four profound lessons that we ought to remember this Christmas season. Lesson number one from the magi. God's gift is for all people. This is an especially important message for those of us who are Americans. We live in a country that is increasingly divided and tribalized. But God's message is supremely inclusive. God's gift is for all people. We don't know, by the way, how many magi there were exactly, but they arrived, as I said, months after the birth. It's been suggested they arrived as much as two years after Jesus was born. We don't know where they came from, probably Persia. The religious world of Jesus' childhood, you should know, was dominated by pagan, multi-god religions. But there were two exceptions the Jews in Palestine, and the Zoroastrians. Zoroastrians were from Persia. They were monotheists. They believe in one God. And many historians believe they would ultimately exercise some influence over early Christians, and almost certainly they exercised influence centuries later over early Muslims. These magi may well have been Zoroastrian holy men who had heard tales about a Jewish Messiah. Remember that. 
Zoroastrian holy men. The thing to remember about this is that they were foreigners, at least to Mary and Joseph and any Jews who might have been hanging around. And how in the world do a group of non-Jews end up in the middle of this story? Remember, the Jews had this long-held notion that God was just for them. Now, God had shown himself to the Jews in unique ways, to be sure, but he did so so that they might show him to others. It was always God's plan to offer himself to all people. And here, at the high point of God's story, he's invited in a group of outsiders. Within 100 years after Jesus' birth and death, early Christians had gotten this right. They had shared his story throughout North Africa, into Europe, and east all the way to India. God's gift is for all peoples, every language, tribe, and nation. This is not a Jewish thing. This is not a white people thing. This is not an African thing. This is not an Indian thing. This is not a South American thing. It's an all nations thing, and not just all nations and people, but all walks of life as well. Remember, the first group to receive the message about Jesus' birth were a group of shepherds. And shepherds, by the way, were considered to be among the lowest socioeconomic group of Jesus' day. Now, we live, we've been reminded on Facebook lately of a recent survey, we live in one of the wealthiest regions in the world. And so we need to remember that this message did not come first to prophets or kings or religious teachers, or even merchants or farmers, or computer programmers, or GS-15 government employees. It came to shepherds. And do you remember the message the angel announced to the shepherds? The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. God's gift is for all people, every kind of people from every kind of place, including people like you and me. We all need good news. Second profound truth from the Magi that we need to learn this Christmas. God is known to us because he has revealed himself to us. We don't come to know God because we are clever or because we're good. We come to know God because he shows himself to us. The shepherds were told. The Magi saw a star. The disciples were called, saw miracles, heard teaching repeatedly. We know what we know about God because God has shown himself to us. From the text that Victoria and Daniel read for us, we know that these Zoroastrian holy men saw some kind of heavenly sign that indicated to them that a magnificent event was taking place in Judea. I've read uh, two theories about this star recently. One astronomer from Rutgers University argues that the star which the Magi saw was actually an alignment of stars and planets that were significant to ancient astrologers. Evidently, various constellations in the sky represented different parts of the known world to ancient astronomers. Plus, Jupiter was considered to be the planet of kings, so a lunar eclipse, he argues, of Jupiter in the constellation which symbolizes Judea would have excited expectations of a divine birth in the Jerusalem area. According to this astronomer's calculations, this exact alignment appeared near the exact time of Jesus' birth. A second kind of similar theory came from a British astrophysicist who argues that the Bethlehem star was a real star that can be still seen today by telescope. Back when Jesus was born, it was a bright nova. In fact, ancient Chinese astronomers report that an unusually bright star appeared around the probable time of Jesus' birth. Like the astronomer from Rutgers, the British astrophysicist argues that the ancient astrologers would have found the supernova significant because of where it was in the sky and when it happened. 
Okay, we, we simply don't know if either of those things happened or if God just hung a unique star in place for a few months while these people studied it and traveled toward its meaning. But we know that something profound, something outside of the normal, brought a group of foreign holy men to the place of Jesus' birth. We know what we know about God because God reveals himself to us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 11. I love this. Paul says, he quotes, he says, However, as it's written, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. He goes on and explains, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among a person knows the thoughts of a person? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God uses all kind of means to reveal himself to us. Here's the thing. He has shown himself to you over the years. Maybe through a good friend. Maybe through an unbelievable blessing or an unexplainable set of circumstances. Maybe through an incredible teaching or through a miracle. Maybe a dream or an experience that you just can't explain. God is known to us because he reveals himself to us. Some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a social commentarian who appeared on the radio periodically. Paul Harvey told this story many years ago. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other people. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but he would wait up for them, and so he stayed up, and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier and then went back to the fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another and then another, sort of a, a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the, the living room window, but when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to the barn. Quickly, he put on a coat, galoshes, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, opened the doors wide and turned on the light. But the birds didn't come to it. He figured food would entice them in, so he, he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them in the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around and waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him, to them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of a way to let them know that they can trust me, that, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself. 
and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safe, warm to the barn. But I, I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. Paul Harvey says, at that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. God is known to us because he has revealed himself to us. And God reveals himself to anyone who's willing to hear. Jesus said, after all, seek and you'll find. Okay, third truth, and this is an important one. The world is a messy place. Some of you have struggled with the concept of God and how you interact with God over the years, in part because there's suffering in the world. We read in the account from Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born, he hung around in Bethlehem for a while, Herod hears about it, the Magi come, he realizes that there's a king that's born, this could cause revolution, so he doesn't know how to find Jesus. He ends up having all of the two-year-old boys in the region killed. Our world is a place where people die of heart attacks and pancreatic cancer and traffic accidents caused by drunk people who selfishly and unthinkingly get behind the wheel of a car. Our world is a place where one group of people hacks another group of people to death with machetes simply because of their tribal affiliation. Our world is a place where a disturbed young man grabs a gun, walks into a school, and kills 20 innocents who were moments before playing with finger paint. And the Christmas story embraces this world fully and without reservation. The Christmas story is about the Son of God being born to an unwed Jewish girl with no pedigree who was without question cut off from the support of her family and her community. He was born in a grimy part of the world into a working class home of an oppressed minority people in a backwater nowheresville village without recognition, without fanfare, in unsanitary conditions among animals and animal refuse. In short, the Christmas story is about the Son of God being born as far on the other side of the tracks as you can possibly go and into the middle of what was an unsavory scandal. Our world is a messy place, and, and Jesus enters our messy world and our messy lives with full force. And he doesn't make all of the mess go away. And that brings us to our final profound lesson. So if you forget everything else, don't forget this. God did not fully satisfy all of the world's problems with the coming of Jesus. Now this is obvious because we still have problems and we know it, but we should be honest about it. And if we're honest, we also have to acknowledge that there is a special burden, I believe, on Christians to explain this. Why is our world such a mess? Right? I mean... We're the ones who believe that God the Son came to the planet to visit us. Why in the world aren't things better than they are? The one who was promised long ago, the one who could restore all things, the one who can make things new, he actually came. And still the world goes on in its messy, messy ways. Oh, there's joy and there's beauty, there's love and there's hope all over the place, but it's, it's always slightly discolored by the mess surrounding it, and it never lasts, not permanently. So why? Our biggest clue, I think, about why comes from Jesus' favorite teaching topic. Jesus' favorite teaching topic, listen to this, his favorite topic wasn't peace. It wasn't prayer. It wasn't even love. 
Far more than any other topic, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he meant two things by that phrase. First of all, he was talking about God's sovereignty, God's authority, his right to rule. And secondly, he was also talking about the place of his rulership or where he would exercise his authority. Now, when I say place, don't think about heaven or Hyderabad or North Carolina. Jesus would have been thinking differently, more spiritually, if you will. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus would say. The place Jesus had in mind was a little closer to what we would think of when we think of a time period or an age. It's more like when he would rule. So to help us out, for kind of a close synonym, it's helpful to listen to what Jesus and his followers said about what they called the age to come. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you may be familiar with that phrase. For example, the Apostle Paul says this about God's power. Listen to this and listen for the key phrase. God's power, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He's waxing poetic. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So, there is an age to come, and there is a present age. And the present age is the age we live in. It's the age of messiness. This is the age of hate crimes and random acts of violence. This is the age when death hangs ominously over every single life. This is the age of tears and the age of sorrows and pain. This is the age when bodies break down and decay, don't we know it? This is the age when God's great enemy and ours is released to exercise his terrible influence. Merry Christmas! But the age to come is an age when and where there is no more sorrow, no more sin, no more sickness, separation from God will be unknown as his presence will literally fill everything and everyone at all times. There will be absolute freedom, absolute unabated joy, and all-consuming love. This is the fully realized kingdom of God, the time and place when God reigns completely. Now let's wrap up and don't miss this. Let me state the obvious again. We live in the present age. We don't live in the age to come. And the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus did not change that. Or did it? In one mysterious and incredibly profound exchange with some of his critics, Jesus said this, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or, or there it is, but because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus' coming did not fully satisfy all of the world's problems, but because of Jesus, because of what he released to us with his coming, what will eventually be true of the whole of reality is true right now in you and me. The great satisfaction has not fully come, but it has begun. Merry Christmas indeed. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate it. We rejoice in it, and we ask that during this season, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, we would be reminded of the reason for the season, and we would be reminded that something incredible has happened because you came. It's the presence of the future. Your kingdom, your fullness has parachuted into time and place, and you're setting up little outposts here, places where you completely reign, 
And so tonight, Lord, tonight we say, even in this just Christmas Eve service, we say, our hearts are yours. Reign here. Let your kingdom come in me. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. A reading from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God.
right, we're almost filled up. I'm gonna sing one more verse so we can get to this chorus. We do this every year, it's a great tradition. We're gonna lift our candles together. So sing this verse with me, as we gaze. Stay safe on your way home. Love you guys. Go peace.